Welcome to Optimist in Progress. I'm Tom Johnston and with me is my co-host Dr. Drea Letamendi. On this episode we're in conversation with Karen David. Karen is a recording artist and actor who you may have seen as Isabella in Gallivant, Princess Jasmine on ABC's Once Upon a Time and she's currently starring as Grace in AMC's Fear the Walking Dead. Karen was born in India and migrated with her family when she was a child to Canada. She's lived in London and now spends her time between LA and Austin, Texas. In this episode, we hear about the inspiration that her parents brought to her, the transformational effect of kissing and how she stayed positive with her own self-care routine through lockdown. Karen's voice exudes optimism and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Hey, Karen. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Tom. Hello, Dr. D. (laughs) So good to see you, Karen. So lovely to see you. And thank you for having me. It's a a pleasure. And Karen, so we're going to jump straight in and we ask everyone who comes on, what does optimism mean to you? And do you consider yourself as an optimist? (laughs) Uh, I'd like to think I'm an optimist. Uh, Optimism for me uh I, it's a feeling I, it, it's um it's an essence uh, a feeling and an essence that kind of resonates within my heart and my soul and it's authentic uh and you know it's real because it has this power to just sort of permeate through the rest of uh the rest of my body and my mind and um puts a big smile on my face uh it's something that I've had to, I feel like all of us have to, have had to work on and the more you practice it, uh, the better you get at it. And it really makes such a huge difference at how you choose to react to whatever happens. I, um, I'm just grateful. And that's something that I've had to work on uh, throughout my journey. And I feel like I don't call it aging, I call it growing up. And every year that I grow up a bit more, I begin to realize more and more um, the power of gratitude and how how that ties in um, intrinsically with, with being happy and emotional well-being and emotional stamina, especially during this pandemic, um, and optimism as well. And can you trace that positivity? You, you, you mentioned your, your journey to kind of where you are now. You were born in India and your family migrated to Canada. I'm really curious about your experience and, and you've lived in the UK for uh, periods of time and now you're on, in the US. I'm curious about your experiences as an immigrant and was that, what was family life growing up? Was that, um, did that influence your positivity in any way? Oh, absolutely. I think the source of um, happiness stems from uh, my mum and my dad, uh, the optimism, certainly, from both my parents. My friends often tease me. They say that, you know, they've had to pay tons of money for a life coach, but I've naturally had that within my parents. Um, They're very grounded, very humble, uh, humble people. It's that immigrant mentality, too, you know, my parents sacrificed a lot leaving India. They they had a life there. Um, they were thriving. They had uh, they had their opportunities, and um, they had everything and family and friends and all that. And they left that in the hopes that maybe there might be some better opportunities for my older sister and I. And uh, 
my parents were only allowed to immigrate to to Canada. They did a pit stop in England, um, but they were only allowed to leave India with $20 to their name. And that was it. And my father, my father framed that $20 bill. <laughs> and that would be right at the front entrance of our, of our house. Um, Oh, you know, we were in an apartment at first and then a house, small house, you know, and uh, that was a reminder that, you know, their hopes and dreams were built on this $20 bill and how far they came along, you know, and persevered through the struggles that they went through. Um, so I had that sort of gift of um, gift of awareness from my parents' experience. And I remember going through, you know, similar feelings when, um, and obviously I had more than $20 than my parents did, but it was still very nerve wracking when I left home for the first time. I always thought that I wouldn't leave home until I got married. <laughs> and it's so funny when you look back how life really changes and you never think, you know, so many unexpected things happen along the way. But I left home. I ended up leaving home initially first when I was 17, went to go study at Berkeley in Boston, came back. And then at 19, I got my scholarship to go back to England. So um, I always thought I was going to come back. Uh to Toronto, but I didn't. I ended up staying in England for like, oh God, um, 12, 13 years before starting to do the uh, back and forth, uh, toing and froing between um, LA and, and England. But um, leaving home for the first time, feeling so nervous, I sort of had to put this, this, this blindfold over my subconscious and just trust and just do it. Because if I thought too much about it, I think my fear and my concerns and worries would get in the way. Um, so I just I just kind of had to just suck it up and just trust that I was going to land on my feet. And it made me really think about my parents' journey because they had it so much more. Um, they had so much more challenges, you know, especially with only having $20 and having to you know, set foot in a whole new country, a different culture, um, having to integrate culturally um, and find a job and find a place to stay. I mean, my mom told me that there'd be days where she just cried and she would just be trying to um, pick up the phone to get to, to, to her brother, my uncle, to send a ticket back so we could all move back. But fortunately, um, he never answered that call um, and it was very expensive at, during those times to make long distance calls. So um, she ended up staying and it was always going to be for this trial period, but then it started to get better and better and better. And that's when she said she began to learn about uh, more so about perseverance and uh, coping, coping mechanisms, emotional stamina, all of that. So I feel that everything that I've learned has, has stemmed very much from this nucleus within, you know, my mom and my dad. And I'm so grateful for that because I know I know I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for everything that my parents taught me. And yes, you know, coming from an immigrant family, there's always that um, extra awareness and extra sensitivity. I feel that, you know, my parents always told me that you're you're a girl, um, you're a girl of color, and you're going to have to work 
50, 100 gazillion times more. And they said, whatever you do, apply yourself, give it your best always and then some and let the work speak for itself and always move forwards with with not only purpose but with gratitude so that's that's my background you know from my parents and um i'd like to think that it's held me in good stead in in you know in today's crazy world and everything you know so uh yeah, mum, mum, and dad. Blame them. It's all their fault. <laughs> I think this, I was reading something by a Cuban writer the other day that talked about their inherent kind of positivity of migration. So not if it's celebrated in wildlife, it's, it, we look at it with a real wonder on migration patterns and how uh, species survive. It often leads to kind of new things and and being able to do that well is actually something that leads to success in in the animal kingdom it's a really strange thing that it's often tried to be over controlled in with humans and uh and there's often restrictions placed on it or xenophobia kind of that that comes with it and and i just thought it was a very interesting parallel to kind of look at those two things but i also think there's an inherent um forward-looking nature to it which i think you're you're describing which is it's not worrying about where you are now what has been before it's really looking at what's coming next and where you might be going which i think has a you describe that with you know 20 dollars framed by the front door what a brilliant way to kind of show that which is you know it doesn't matter what you have now it's what you're kind of going to go and build which is a, a lovely way of thinking i think my my parents really wanted us to to be aware of what's possible and my parents always told me, he said, you know, my sister too, don't be afraid to dream. You can dream, but dream big and, and make sure you work hard for it because anything is possible if you work really hard towards your goals. So, and, and they can be little goals or big goals. There is no judgment in what we want to do. At the end of the day, I feel our parents just, you know, parents just want their children to be happy, happy and growing and thriving. Um, and so whatever that meant for my sister and I, you know, my parents were always incredibly supportive. Now, especially for an Asian and South Asian family, um, for their little girl to just say, well, I want to be an actress and a singer and <laughs> not a lawyer or a doctor or <laughs> something far more sensible. Um, and it didn't, it didn't really phase them. <laughs> um, they... Uh, they struck a really good deal with me when I was when I was a kid because I, I knew what I wanted to do. I had I was I had that calling from from such a young age, and that feeling st still resonates in me. And and it, I can tap into it, especially on days where I you know we all question what are we doing. I'm 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 just yeah I'm just I'm just very grateful for all the things that my my parents taught me and also my teachers. Um, teachers are often the unsung heroes uh, and I was so lucky to have such wonderful mentors um, growing up because you know as a kid I didn't understand what being a half Asian half South Asian meant I just I was predominantly in a white community uh, and I was the only brown girl in my class and I so desperately want to fit in as kids you want to fit in and be accepted and be liked um, but you know right down to the to the things now looking back it's like you know when it was lunchtime and i would have 
now I'm thinking, wow, I had it good. I had, I was so lucky. I had these home cooked meals, like curries and Chinese food and everything. It was so wonderful. But as a kid, you bring that your lunchbox to school, and the other kids are looking at you, thinking, "Ew, that smells. What's that? Why aren't you having a peanut butter and jam sandwich?" Was the holy grail for me. I would beg my parents to make my lunch <laughs> a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and my parents just said, "No, you're going to have curry with the veg and all that." I can appreciate that now. Trust me, when I left home, that's the first thing I miss: my mom and dad's home cooking.、Um, But at the time, you know, you you just you just want to fit in and and just be you know everything for everything to be seamless. Karen, that story is so relatable for me because I just desperately so much wanted an American hot dog for dinner, <laughs> and you know all and、uh, I had a lot of Chinese Ecuadorian food in my backpack and and for dinners, and I was so embarrassed to bring people over. Like, oh, what would they think of my family's food? Um, and your story is so beautiful, and I appreciate so much your way of illuminating how the experiences, the generational, intergenerational experiences of、um, immigrant families, really, you know, build this、uh, this wonderful sense of resources around not just the perseverance, but also、uh, adaptation and a sense of hope for the future. That this all is worth it. This all, all this hard work. Uh, can lead to such wonderful things, and you also mentioned、uh, one of your gifts being singing, and you have an amazing singing voice. Anyone who's seen your work, especially on your shows、uh, like Galavant or your、uh, duet, that sweet duet you did with Ruben Blades on Fear the Walking Dead, your your fans know you have this such a sweet, amazing singing voice. Talk about discovering that voice. You mentioned watching. These formative movies and musicals、uh, at home growing up. What, what, how? What sparked in you, and what does the act of singing do for you now? My parents love music so much, and so our household growing up was filled with all kinds of music. My parents would play.、Uh, Motown, loads of Motown. I grew up on copious amounts of Motown,、um, and then they would play the classics from Frank Sinatra, you know,、um, uh, Doris Day,、uh, Neil Sedaka, like all they really. And then they play classical music, so it was a bit of everything. And they wanted my sister and I to sort of find this love for all these different genres of music,、um, and they would take me to the local.、Um, Amusement parks, or they'd have these free concerts on the weekend. So right from when I was five years old, we would go to the park,、um, to this amusement park every weekend, just to see the likes of Lionel Richie. I saw The Temptations. I saw Donny Marie Osmond. I mean, I didn't even know who these people were. Cool and the Gang. I saw、uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. I saw. Now I'm like, wow! That was my music education that my parents gave me and my sister from a very young age, and、um, that's why I just grew to love music so much. And there would be so much dancing, and my parents、um, in the basement of the house they put up these mirrors so I could could dance and and practice, you know, from dance classes and.、Uh, I, they they just created this very loving home, where you felt that sort of 
that loving energy, that supportive energy just kind of resonate through the house. And so I'd, I'd always go downstairs and, and sing as well. So I'd play my Whitney Houston and <laughs> singing, singing lyrics that no eight-year-old should be singing at that age. Um, they could see that um, I meant business when I really wanted to, uh, to, to sing and act. And so they even allowed me, now for Asian South Asian parents, because they keep a very tidy home, you know, and so they allowed me to even put posters up on this wall because it was my wall. And it was little did I know now looking back on it that that essentially was my vision board. My parents allowed me to have this glorified vision board on my wall where I could stick up anything that just brought me joy, that brought me inspiration, that brought me support, that, um, you know, that made me feel good about what I was doing and 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 sort of validated my my dreams they they were cool about me putting whatever I wanted on this wall and uh, that really just looking at that every day and uh, having my little haven that I could come to because I was bullied in school so often when I'd come home I'd be quite upset but I'd go into this sanctuary place and I just look up at this wall and see right before me all my hopes and dreams and what was possible. And that it kind of gave me that extra, that extra push to, to kind of try and clear out the noise that was happening at school. Um, and, and just feel, feel like I could be a somebody for myself. Um, so I'm really grateful that they gave me the basement to take over. <laughs> And singing really became such a huge part of my life. Um, when I was in grade six, I was in sixth form, my my teacher, Mrs. DePaulis, God bless her, she she could see I was always singing in choir classes and, and any of the productions at school, I'd always want to go up and sing. And uh, she came up to me and she said, you know, Karen, I think it's time that you start taking singing lessons. And I looked at it, I was like, singing lessons? Who needs singing lessons? Oh, silly me. Um, I said, you can either sing or you can't. Who needs singing lessons? I just couldn't understand it. She said, no, you need to learn the fundamentals of singing. And I think you've got something. So I started um, doing my research because my dad always said, you have to be a homework girl uh, and take the initiative. So I started looking up, you know, different schools, singing schools, music schools, see the reviews, what different people were saying, who trained with so-and-so. Um, and I really enjoyed that process. And finally, when I told my parents, I said, well, Mrs. DePaulis thinks I'm ready to take singing lessons. And my parents said, okay, you, they struck this deal with me. They said, you get straight A's in school, <laughs> no pressure, straight A's in school, and we'll pay for your singing lessons for your dance lessons, for your acting lessons. But the minute that you don't, you know, the minute that you we see that you're, you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, if you don't meet your part of the deal, then we mean business will take away all your lessons. And um, my dad always said he was trying to instill um, the value of money too, because my parents, the working, working class parents, um, and even though they had all these amazing um, uh, degrees and whatnot from India, they had to take whatever they could work-wise. So it was very expensive to do all those lessons. And uh, they never quite told me, but I know that they sacrificed so much. We never had the family holidays or anything. It was all about, okay, we'll put it towards Karen's 
lessons because that's what she wants. Um, and this is what makes her happy. And my mom said, to be quite honest, keeps keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> so because I was keeping myself so busy um, with wanting to sing, act and dance. So um, so I kept my end of the bargain. And I think all the music lessons just have helped so much. And um, now I find now living, you know, away from home for so long. I remember one day I just looked at my husband, Carl, and I just said, what happened to me going into that sanctuary place? and putting on really good music and dancing and singing again. And I said, why aren't I doing that every day like I did before? It's like we forget so much because life just takes over. And Carl's like, well, you've got your office, you study. Why don't you just go in there and do that? And I started doing that. My gosh, I felt like that little girl all over again into my teens. And uh, I can't tell you what it does for, you know, your psyche and for your emotional well-being, especially during this pandemic when we had to quarantine uh, for that big chunk of time. But implementing, you know, singing every day again and 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 uh, writing and all that, it's, it's just, it's been so wonderful. I can't recommend it enough. It's the best tonic I feel for the soul. Let's talk a little bit more about Carl. He is, uh, as you mentioned, also a creative person. He's a brilliant Grammy-nominated songwriter and producer. And I know both of you are experiencing a life of performers. You know, the, this life can have its ups and downs and can uh, introduce disappointment and rejection. I'm sure that you both have had your fair share. <laughs> it's, it's the territory of being creative, right? And I'm wondering how the two of you, you, you talked a little bit about how Carl is able to guide you, you know, kind of back toward, um, you know, maybe some, some, uh, positive practices and to kind of lift you up. And I'm sure you do the same for him. How do you, how do you manage and balance that? How do you keep yourselves in a positive place throughout your careers, especially as you mentioned during, during times of crisis? I mean, Carl and I have been together now for 12 years and certainly during this pandemic is the first time ever during this time together that we've been together for 24 seven. So that taught us a lot too. Um, and we still like each other, fancy that. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think every every family, every couple, every relationship will say that you, you truly have to navigate each and every day because each and every day is a different day. Um, you know, Carl and I, happen to to like each other um i saw an interview way back with michael parkinson um tom you'll know parkinson yeah uh and and he was interviewing dustin hoffman and it was really funny because that day was parkinson's wedding anniversary and they'd been together i think they were celebrating like their 53rd wedding anniversary and dustin hoffman was like wow you know that that's a real accomplishment and all of a sudden, it became a Parkinson interview as opposed to a Dustin Hoffman interview because Dustin then started asking him so many questions, saying, well, what's what's your secret of, of a long-lasting uh, union? And Michael simply said, he goes, we just happen to really like each other. And that stuck with me. It stuck with me. And so I remember coming back to Carl and I said, I said, um, I said, Bay, I said, I really like you. 
And the minute I just said those simple words, I said, I really like you. It just, it just automatically does something to you. If I say to you, Tom, I like you. <laughs> Drea, I like you so much. You know, I like you. It's, I don't know, it's just, it gets some happy endorphins that just, that just make you feel seen um, and feel supported and elevated. And, and so Carl and I made this deal that we would, we would, we would like each other first and foremost. Love is something that is so easy. Love can come easy, but there's so, as we all know, there's so much more to love. It's, it's all the fundamental things as well. And I think, um, communicating is the number one important thing even when you um you don't want to carl have carl and i um have this silly thing now that even when we're a little cross with each other um we have a code sound and we have to it's like it's like law abiding that when we do a kiss kiss sound, you go you have to kiss the person and there's so many times when we have an argument we'll have a disagreement especially during the pandemic being 24 7 and i'll walk away being a little bit grumpy and all of a sudden i'll hear in the background and i'm like oh no i don't want to. i don't want to but it immediately it immediately makes me laugh it makes him laugh and all of a sudden Whatever we were like, you know, arguing about like housework or whatever, it just kind of dissipates. And then we give each other a peck on the cheek or on the lips. It's just so funny, but it works. And it goes back to that whole thing about saying, I like you. I like you. I like you. And um, I'm here for you as you are for me. I'm really blessed that, um, you know, Carl, uh, Carl is just incredibly supportive and not threatened by my goals or my dreams or my um, success. Um, and, and even that feels so weird to say because I've been brought up that we don't, we don't say things like that. You know, you, you, you've got to be very humble. It's so weird to say my success. And for a very long time, I always felt like I had to apologize for that. And I think that had a lot to do with me being bullied too, you know, that, oh, I have to apologize for me being me or, and so, but with Carl, he, I think, especially coming from an immigrant family, um, I they're very uh, they're very strict in a lot of ways, um, and sometimes maybe that that kind of made me a bit rigid, um, and Carl kind of kind of loosened me up a bit where I could laugh more at myself, you know. Um, he said, you can take everything seriously that you do, yes, but you can also have a laugh too. And uh, don't forget that. And you can laugh at yourself. And laughing at yourself is really healthy. And uh, I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned from Carl. Because you, Drea, you know Carl. He's, 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 he's quite the joker and loves a good laugh. And, um, you know, he's the one who would come up with that thing. That's Carl. <laughs> so, um I, I owe him a lot because uh, it's it's good to not take ourselves so seriously and uh, to know that we're human and that, um, you know, the mistakes that we make, we learn from. And as long as we continue to grow, I feel like growth, continually wanting to grow and continually being curious feeds directly into our happiness. And uh, Carl essentially, you know, getting me out of my shell a bit, um, 
Because sometimes you can get so focused and so concentrated on your path and your journey that you you feel like, oh, no, no, there's no time to do this and no time to do that. And I've got to focus, I've got to focus, you know. And a lot of that has everything to do with I felt like I was on this deadline. Um, I always thought, especially, you know, with my with that immigrant mentality that I'm in this amazing country. I have to take advantage. I have to I have to take advantage of all of this. I've got to make every penny count. Um, so that was sort of my... You know, my my mental sort of state for a long time and then I met Carl and he just he just kind of allowed me to to uh to have a laugh and my mum would always joke and say oh thank god I always tell Karen take a break go outside you know go for a walk go out with your friends like do those things and it's so important to to remember those those things those feelings I love that and I'm really interested to hear we've you know you talk about being together 24-7, I'm really interested to hear your experience of life during the pandemic. And I see you did a, a series, Tea with Karen, which sounds very English, but was a really good um, series of conversations that you had. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you found from those conversations and how that came around? So I think like many of us in that first month of the pandemic, I think a lot of us were in a state of shock or disbelief, not knowing exactly what was happening. And, you know, that was really tough on Carl. Um, he is the type that thrives on routine. And all of a sudden that just kind of went up in the air. And so he felt very lost and very discombobulated and all that. So it was tough the first month, I think, for many of us trying to wrap our heads around what was happening. And so during that time, uh, I think it was, I couldn't really sleep actually one night. It was like two in the morning. And so I woke up and I said, okay, um, make some night calming tea and I'll just do some writing. So as I was writing, I thought, well, what am I going to do if this pandemic stretches out for months or a year of what we were hearing? And that kind of scared me. And I went onto my social media pages and I started to see that a lot of people, uh, a lot of my my followers and my fans were feeling the same way. And one thing that I've been very blessed with in on my social media pages is the sense of community of people from all over the world that um, are really good, good humans. Uh, they use social media for a good purpose, and they foster and they nurture. Um, support uh, and and love on all my pages and I'm really proud of that I'm proud of them and uh, I thought well how can I give back what they've given me because essentially they've been the bestest cheerleaders throughout this journey and I I just thought well what can I do and so the next day uh, there was an article it's almost as if universe heard me and uh, there was an article that popped up within the Walking Dead universe, and they were talking about um, different shows that each character or person in, in, in our universe, if they did, would actually be a wonderful idea. And I thought, wait, what? So I was looking and they said, don't you think if Karen did a one hour happy hour show, don't you think it'd be the best dose of happiness in one hour? And I was so, I was so moved, but I also laughed because if anyone knows me, I'm such a cheap date and it doesn't take much for me to get 
um, to get silly uh, because I'm <laughs> such a low tolerance to alcohol, which is really funny. So I said, so that's not going to work. Happy hour, you know, because I liked happy hour with Karen, but I thought, well, Karen doesn't really drink, really. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. So I said, well, what what do I love? And I said, tea. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with my teas, um, especially from my travels. I always have all these kinds of teas from all over the world. Uh, and I love my tea. So I said, well, it's like having a cup of tea with Karen. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, that, that, that sounds like it's got a nice ring to it, tea with Karen, because it feels home-like, it, um, it feels personal, it doesn't feel pretentious, or it just, it just feels natural and comfortable and comfy. So having a cup of tea with a friend, and I thought, okay, so I started writing right away. I said, well, if I do an hour of tea with Karen, what would what would it be about and i thought well it would really be essentially talking to dear friends about how they're coping with these uncertain times and to let everyone know that they're not alone i think that was the main thing that you're not alone in how you feel in your struggles um and that here's a community that is there to support and talk amongst each other. I was trying to foster all the fans and, and the followers to talk amongst each other. Um, and then to also bring bring some people on, you know, that, that might, you know, just so they know that some of their favorite actors um, feel the same things that they do and, uh, and that they're trying to navigate just as much as they are too. So it, it just brings a sense of connection and uh, community, which I really wanted. So I started writing a list of all, I said, okay, I know so many amazing people um, who are actors and who are not actors, but I'll start off with actors first. It's essentially two of us catching up over a cup of tea in front of a lot of people and and talking about how we're coping with pandemic. So it's a pa very much a pandemic series. So, um, so I started doing that and I brought Timothy Amundsen on first and uh, Tim is my neighbor and uh, we're such dear friends. And I knew, especially with the challenges that Tim Amundsen has been through um, with his stroke and how he's, uh, you know, this huge change of life um, and how he's, how he's navigated his way and come out on the other side of it with such gratitude and grace. Um, it's it, it astounds me every day and i thought well he's the perfect person to kick off this whole series um to inspire those uh who need who need a little bit of a uh, a hug um and and to know that uh that there's nothing that we can't get through and i brought that in now where i'm doing this book called um the happiness project i had this in my um in my library here for years I'm so embarrassed to say for years. And I pulled it out and I'm like, oh my God, why have I not done this? And I'm like, oh, because it's June and you're supposed to start this in January. So I pulled it out at the right time. And I said, right, this is what we're gonna do for the whole year. And I just felt that if we do this together, we hold each other accountable in a good way. And it gets me to, to wanna take part. And I tell you, now coming into March, the first two months, I've already made so many changes and I feel so much better. It's actually putting your resolutions, which usually are all this for me, into motion. Um, it's just been such a wonderful thing to connect with my followers over and to see that um, 
it's it's really to um, talk about the importance of mental health and and promoting um, emotional well-being because I feel those skills are so as you know um, especially Dr. D uh, that that you know this is so important navigating through this crazy world and the times that we're living in now that especially young people that if they can start to equip themselves with these these uh, these skills and I'm not a therapist like you or an expert or anything but I just thought it'd be something fun that we could all do together. So Karen, I'm seeing some parallels between the drinks we make and our focus on ritual and the importance of social connection with tea with Karen. Rituals generally serve a need for structure and routine. What other rituals do you place an importance on in your life and within your family or maybe within a broader group? What role does ritual or routine play there? Especially, I feel for like self-employed people, um, creatives, there is no sense of routine. <laughs> and routine for some people comes easily to them. But for us, um, it's, it's, it's challenging. And uh, I know I thrive on some sort of routine and structure. Like I love to plan. But with our crazy life, you can't plan because plans change or a plan depends on plan A to plan B to plan C to come back to plan D. So it's what I learned from this just even doing two months of the Happiness Project is that I could create some sort of ritual of routine, even if it was like a cup of coffee moment where you know, exercise is a big thing for me. So, um, but I knew exercise is something that I needed to do and I wasn't doing it. I just wasn't doing any of it. And I thought, well, how can I do it? My frustrations were that I'd get into a routine, all of a sudden my schedule changes and then I can't do that. So I think trying to look at it from a different perspective that what if I took um, and did a 15 minute class in the morning of meditation and then if I did another 15 minute class at my lunch break where I could do um, just my arms work on my arms and stuff like that then I noticed that I was immediately um, doing something as opposed to nothing and so it was kind of trying to take a backdoor entrance into a way of creating ritual and routine for me but to find um, other ways that you can adapt into your lifestyle and make that work um, has been so life-changing. And uh, sleep has been a big thing for me and it has a lot to do with our filming schedules too. You know, we never have a certain time that we finish each day. Um, and then also I've always been a night owl. I needed to get to bed earlier. So instead of going to bed at midnight, one o'clock too sometimes, because sometimes I get creative bursts and I can't stop. And all of a sudden my brain is wide awake and I need to just go with it. But now I'm trying to go to bed early when I'm not working and creating that ritual routine again. And I can't tell you how, how amazing I feel just being able to lock into that. And then knowing and telling myself that when I do go back to work to give allowances of trying to to adapt to find a happy medium okay if I can't go to bed early this day because I'm working till like two in the morning then the next day if I'm not then we're going to try and go to bed you know so it's just trying to give myself that permission to to do that and all of a sudden I feel oh oh I feel so much better <laughs> why didn't I do that before 
So sometimes you kind of got to get out of yourself and not think too much and just do it. There's a saying about self-care that's so apropos for this conversation. You can't pour from an empty cup. And and your work um, requires a full cup, right? And so I'm just curious to hear from you. You you did mention balance, routine, sleep, um, and the importance of of having schedules. And I wonder emotionally, is there a self-care practice? Is there something that personally has become so vital for you to kind of keep that, that cup full or something that when you notice that that cup's draining, it's, it's down to its last few drops, what emotional self-care practice has been your go-to? So my sister introduced me to, uh, to tapping and, uh, EFT. And of course, (laughs) <laughs> the Brit in me was like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> um, but me, personally, I was just like, really? What does that do? <laughs> tap, tap, tap with affirmation just seemed a little bit um, too too out there for me. Um, but she, knowing that, because I had started Kundalini Yoga um, a while ago, and that just got me into meditation because I, I feel like all of us have very, very busy minds. And the idea of meditation scared me for the longest time because I thought there's no way I'll be able to do it because my mind just wanders. Um, It was my mom brought in two feng shui masters. Every time I I move into a new place or certainly with a new house, she'll send a feng shui master to, you know, feng shui it all and all that. And both of these feng shui masters, and this is like 10 years apart, they both told me the same thing. They said, Karen, especially for women too, we carry all our emotion and anxiety in our gut, in our stomach. And they said, you need, you need to balance that because they could sense that. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, that'll affect your digestion, everything that you need to sort that out. And I said, well, how do I do that? They said, you need to meditate. I was like, oh, what? And both of them mentioned Kundalini. And I thought, well, if that's happening with two different feng shui masters, one in America, one in England, 10 years apart, I think I think there's something to be said. I have to try it. And I'm glad I did because the minute that I started to meditate and do, it's all, the Kundalini Yoga, for those of you who don't know, is this flow of energy and creating good energy circulating in your blood, um, in, in, in your bodies, um, circulating oxygen, Um, and working on different areas, which helps promote vitality. And I'm so glad I did it because it's made a profound difference in my stress levels and the way I handle things and the way I I look at things and choose to react to things. And then my sister brought in the tapping. And I remember we were outside, I was visiting home. uh, We were in Toronto and my mom and my sister were, were in the car. It was a cold winter day. And my sister, we were going for, um, we were going for a cup of, tea <laughs> a cup of tea at the tea house and when we <laughs> when we got back in the car my sister said okay now i've told you all about tapping let me tell you about brad yates and i said okay and she said let's let's just do one of these videos with, by brad yates brad yates is a wonderful eft practitioner i think what i like about him more than some others is that he's very natural about it it's not too flowery um, it's, he's just keeps things real and, and seems very leveled. So I'd like his, his approach and his tone. Um, so we started doing this six minute tapping video 
And she said, just, just try it, just try it because you're beginning to open yourself. When you tap on your, what is it? Your reflexology points, your acupressure points, you immediately release tension and you feel better. So scientifically proven that when you tap on these stress points where we hold tension, we begin to release stress. And I do feel better, even just the tapping without the mantras. So we started doing this six minute video and I felt so much better. I can't explain, I felt lighter. Um, and you know, the mantras kind of help. It's like telling yourself that, you know, you're, you're capable of anything and that you are loved and you can do what you need to do and just have faith in yourself. So that was nice whilst I'm tapping. So I felt really good and I was smiling and I thought, well, this is, this is great. My sister was annoyingly right. And I kid you not, the phone rang, the phone rang two seconds later and it was my agent. Um, and she said, Karen, you've just been offered this role. Da, 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 da. I was like, wait, what? It, it came completely out of the blue. It was a straight offer for um, for Criminal Minds. At the time I couldn't do, I later went on to do Criminal Minds, but at the time I couldn't do it because I was doing Once Upon a Time, but it was like this eight episode arc with Jane Lynch. And it was like, it was amazing, but it came out of nowhere. And my sister's like, that's because you did some tapping. That's because you released all the stress. That's because you then became um, open, your glass half full. And she said, that's, that, that's what happened. So now I have carried and implemented tapping not because, okay, it's nice when those jobs come in, but just because it made me feel so good and it kind of gave, it's like hitting a reset button. What a power nap does is what tapping does for our subconscious, our, our, our conscious mind. And I feel that's really important and not enough people know that there is something they can do besides having a power nap for rest, also kind of having sort of a, a spring clean. Um, and it's it's just, Changed my life, completely changed my life. That's why I get teased that, oh, Karen's on happy pills. My happy pills on my meditation and, and my tapping, it's, it's really made such a huge difference. It's made me hopefully a better person for myself, but a better daughter, a better wife, a better, better sister, a better friend. Um, because as my dad had always said growing up, he said, don't worry so much about finding the answers to everything. He said, just focus on your well-being, focus on being the best version of yourself for yourself, and everything will fall into place. And I used to be so frustrated every time he said that, because I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what does that mean? What do I do? And little did I know that the minute that you just focus on your well-being, that that's when you create this domino effect of positivity that trickles in every aspect of your life. And uh, the meditation and tapping is like my go-to. I was like, okay, tap me up. <laughs> what he says is so true. I'm so glad you shared that because often when we're absolutely depleted, we're like looking at that last layer of our cup. Uh, we, we often kind of withdraw and focus on the negative and, and feel horrible about ourselves. Sometimes we escape, we avoid and to hear you say that, that for you is a signal to pause and to be present and actually to be more exploratory, that these methods that you engage in are so intentional. And it's not to 
escape or avoid. It's actually to be more present and forward moving. And you're absolutely right. Those energies open up the horizon, right? We're able to see clearly. We're able to notice perhaps more positive uh, experiences around us. And I think there is something to, you know, last week we talked about broaden and build this idea that if we experience novelty, that we, we kind of open up access to additional experiences and resources that then beget more positive experiences. And I think what you're talking about is, is a form of that, that you're opening yourself up to more positive experiences in a very, very thoughtful, intentional way. And that's so different than, you know, withdrawing and, and uh, negating it or not allowing yourself to, to feel those feelings. Especially during a pandemic, I feel like we've been so harshly reminded every day about the fragility of life and how precious life is. And I feel more incentivized to fight for my happiness. And I think that becomes more intrinsically important to us as each year goes by is this goal of of content and, and, and happiness and whatever that means. Um, doing those exercises of meditation, even the tapping, you know, Brad Yates, he says in his tapping exercises, he says, look, if you're having a bad day, it's okay, you have to honor those feelings because they come from you and it comes from a valid place. So I think even just listening to that in itself, like, why am I feeling this way? This is what I'm feeling. Does it make me a bad person? No. And I used to always punish myself for that, you know, for feeling bad when I'd be like, no, but I should be feeling um, grateful and I should be feeling happy because there's so many other wonderful things. But I don't in this moment right now. I just don't. I'm not happy. I'm sad. I'm upset about this. And um, but just that one line saying, I honor all my feelings. I honor all my feelings and and I recognize those feelings. I honor them and I send those feelings so much love. I mean, just even that is kind of saying, okay, you know, you're allowed to feel the way you do and this will pass and you're going to be okay again. It just, just that shift, you know, in, in the way you look. A lot of us often feel that uh, when we're in that sort of not having a great day, we don't want to talk about it because some of us feel ashamed or we don't feel comfortable talking about it, but I think it's so important to acknowledge that, you know, those feelings come from a very truthful, valid place, even though it might not make sense at the time, no matter what, you're feeling them for a reason. But I think it's life experience um, that teaches us that, uh, you know, forgiveness is more, I see how it benefits ourselves because it's that whole thing of letting go and being able to move on because it's about your happiness it's about feeding into your well-being um and i understand that gift of forgiveness um now more than ever and and letting go um and that's helped me in in so many aspects of my relationships friendships or you know expectations or whatnot it's it's okay and it's it's really freeing it's so freeing and i feel like now I'm, I'm, I'm living the life that I want to live, you know, that's within my control. There's so many things that are without our, that are not in our control, but what's in our control is truly how we choose to um, react to things as and when they come. We have loved this conversation and we want to, as, as we close this out, um, I'd love to hear if there's a track or a book or a film that you've watched recently that you found 
uplifting or inspiring in any way? So uh, I think it's going back to Ali McBeal. My sister used to watch <laughs> Ali McBeal and I started watching it recently just to binge watch, you know, um, all the episodes. And I love, and I remember this when I was growing up with my sister when she was watching it. Um, she had a theme song. Ali McBeal had a theme song. And that theme song, it could change any time, whatever you know your playlist is. But I always make sure and I tell Carl, I said, what's your theme song today? And so right now, our theme song has been uh, A Lovely Day by Bill Withers. You just play that first, that first chord as soon as it comes in. And the guitar comes in and then the build up to it you just feel like yeah okay first thing in the morning we will play it's gonna be a lovely day it's a lovely day and i said yeah it's a lovely day so this morning i think i told you guys early before we started recording i had all these technical glitches and everything my hair wasn't listening or anything like that and i said no no i'm not gonna get stressed out by this it is going to be a lovely day and i played my bill with this song <laughs> And it is a lovely day because I'm here with both of you having this lovely, lovely chat. And it's a great day. And I'm grateful for this moment that we're having and, and grateful that we have our health and that, um, you know, our family and our friends are, are all safe and, and sound. And because um, we know that all of that could change, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been our song. It does change, you know, um, day by day. Uh, when we were driving um, from Austin back to LA, we had a playlist of just feel-good songs, but it was all nostalgia songs that we had grown up. I said, let's play nostalgia songs that you remember your parents playing over and over, or you know that I would listen to when I was a kid and all that. And we had like, we had Michael McDonald, What a Fool Believes. We had um, AHA, uh, we had all these, like everything that my sister used to listen to that I didn't appreciate at the time as, you know, she would play her Aerosmith. And we had all these songs like of our family members and it just made us feel really close to our family all of a sudden because I haven't seen, like many, I haven't seen my family in over a year. My husband hasn't seen his family in nearly two years. So, um, it's been really tough, but it's amazing what the gift of a good book or music or a feel-good film can do. It can just bring you to that place, especially music. That's amazing. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. What an inspiring conversation. It's been great to hear your story. Well, we look forward to having a, t a cup of tea together uh, at some point soon. Um, and, and thanks again for joining us. What a great conversation. Thank you.